I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her. And you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. It is Tuesday again, and we are back with another episode of Target Snarket, a weekly podcast brought to you by the humble and brilliant folks at Broad Digital Consulting. I am one of your hosts, Danielle. And I am singular co-host for the day, Kaylee and Danielle. I'm glad we read each other's minds and went with clear glasses so that we looked the best for the pod. Excellent. For the pod, for the YouTube (laughs) channel, really. Um, I, I wanted to note, it is also now November. Uh, I am holding every one of you listening personally responsible for that. I'm not really sure how we got here. I'm not thrilled about it, if I'm being honest. I mean, that's rude. Like, It's, I, it's Kaylee's birthday month. Okay, so fine, fine. For but all like, celebrate. Also, October <laughs> is now officially over, and that's really sad. Uh, not to mention the fact that, like, of course, the holiday season approaching means that everything is so much busier and, and we are so much more overloaded. I know I don't have to tell you that, Kaylee. So yeah. <laughs> today, even though it is technically past spooky season, we are getting into something truly spooky, scary, creepy, crawly, a haunted house, if you will. But it's uh, just messages for people you haven't spoken to since high school. And they want to know if you're serious this year about like weight loss or financial freedom because they definitely have a product for you. We are talking about MLMs or multi-level marketing businesses, although it's difficult to say businesses and not schemes after that acronym. Uh, Before we introduce our guest, it should be said that two-thirds of your regular hosts have been involved in MLMs in the past, myself and Alan, who conveniently left me to fend for myself on this podcast so they could honeymoon. And not Kaylee. Not Kaylee. You've never me. I literally said two-thirds. That the implication, <laughs> Kaylee, is that we left you out without without you yeah, lording it over. Wants us. to test the theory, <laughs> sure. don't come asking me. That's fair. That's I fair. I have cut. I don't. I've never helped no one. Don't ask me. Alan <laughs> <laughs> has conveniently left me to fend for myself on this podcast. So they get a honeymoon in Santorini with their wife and make the most bizarre videos on Instagram. Uh, as a matter of fact, our guest today, who I am so excited about bringing on, mm-hmm. also has deep and wide expertise in MLMs as the result of having reached the title Queen Goddess Imperial Knight of the Roundtable Senior Director Boss Babe. That is a fake title as a stand-in, of course, uh, in an MLM herself. I say all of this because I do want to be clear that we're speaking not just from a place of like side-eye from the sidelines. I mean, Kaylee is, but actual like IRL human experiences of our own within MLMs and why they are not at all what they seem when you get that DM from the ghosts of varsity cheerleaders past. I am honored to have our guest, Emily Lynn Paulson, with us today. I read her book, Hey Hun, and immediately I was like, 
we need her on the show. And then I really anxiously shot a shot. And lo and behold, she's here with us now. Emily Lynn Paulson is the author of Highlight Reel, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. And the most recent book, Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and the Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing. She has given two powerful TEDx talks, both challenging the status quo of parenting, alcohol use, and feminism as we know it. Paulson has also been featured in major publications such as the Today Show, New York Times, Washington Post, the Seattle Times, Chicago Tribune, Next Question with Katie Couric, and the Tamron Hall Show. She resides in Central Oregon with her husband and their five children. Emily, we are thrilled to have you. Welcome to Target Starkit. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, I, like I said, I read your book. I, I was enthralled. I could not put it down. And that's, you know, as I, as I mentioned, from my own experience in a makeup slinging MLM, one that I also dragged our absent project manager into with me <laughs> many years ago. Um, you know, our podcast is centered around challenging businesses and marketing teams to approach our disciplines responsibly and make them more humane, ethical, equitable, sustainable. So I'm going to start with kind of a hard-hitting question. Do you think that MLMs can ever achieve this, working toward being more ethical, equitable, sustainable? No, hard no. You know, just the model in itself, the multi-level aspect of it is what makes it predatory and inaccessible to most people. And it's the reason, you know, 99.7% of people never make a dime. Wow. Yeah. And I know there there's some there's some idea or time frame that you really have to like get in, get in on the ground floor was what we always mm-hmm. got told. Do you know like where that time frame is? Like, is there a certain number of people, a limit uh, to the number of people that have to have gotten involved before you can actually make anything? You know, it's, it's multifaceted. You have to get in early, but you also have to have money and you also have to have a network of people with money. Because if you join a brand new MLM and you don't have anyone in your network who's going to buy it, or if everyone in your town has already joined that same MLM, you're not going to do well. So the timing doesn't really matter as much. Now, if you join an MLM that's been around for 10 years, but all of your wealthy friends don't know about it yet, you could potentially still do well. So it's not that, you know, getting in early, yes, that's one of the criteria that really helps. But there are so many other things that have to fit in there. And then it's the company itself, you know, if it's kind of a flash in the pan, um, you know, are they going to develop other products? Are they going to go into other markets, which you see in almost every MLM? You know, they start with leggings, then they go into supplements, and they go into skincare, then they go, because they have to remake new customers out of their current customers. So there really is no formula, but having all of those things makes your chances a little bit higher. Getting in early, having money, having friends with money, and being in an area that's like not saturated yet. Sure, sure. Uh, Utah is out, I feel like, for Mm -hmm. for most. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's funny that you say that too, because I remember 
when I first started to like question the MLM that I was involved with, because I mean, everything was just like fun. We're slinging, we're slinging makeup. We're having a good time. Uh, we're making some money off of it. We're car qualifying. We're doing all of these like cool, fun things. And then when we started to realize that they were re-releasing or, or newly releasing colors or products that literally were like, man, don't these look identical to the ones that were released like a year or two ago. And so sort of reinventing the wheel that way. Um, We've even seen, I, I remember that when I first got in, there was a huge shortage on all of these products and people started to wonder later if that shortage had actually been manufactured. 100%. 100%. You will see this in almost every company, I mean, every company that I know of, um, you know, every year they have some launch or multiple launches and everything sells out. And they do this on purpose so that the consultants who are the customers, you know, the consultants in the company mm. panic purchase things so that because they don't want their customers to miss out, like God forbid it sells out before their customers can get it. So they panic purchase and then they make the customers panic purchase. This happens every time. And it's the same reason that they retire products. You know, sure. oh, we're going to retire this, cr- yeah. this, this product that will people like it? Well, guess what? They're going to panic purchase until it's gone. So it's, it's the same thing over and over. Kaylee, you're laughing. <laughs> That's so funny. It's, what I find so funny is that's Walt Disney's selling motto, like how they sell movies with mm. the vault is they only sell certain movies for a certain year until the streaming service came out so that you had to panic by the diamond edition of Cinderella that's somehow clear, even though it was made in the 50s. So it can't be clear, but like you, it's different than the last time I bought it five years ago. It's right. funny that. They continued, they continued it on such a scale. Right. And I mean, the marketing tactic, this is going to be the same anywhere, MLM or not, any company, you know, the, the, the clickbaity marketing, mm-hmm. it works, right? But what's so insidious about it in multi-level marketing is like the, you know, you go buy the Cinderella movie. That's cool. You buy the movie, you have it, you own it. You know, maybe you didn't need it, but <laughs> that's the, you know, $20, $30 gone. It's not, it, nobody's asking you to go get other people to buy the movie or mm-hmm. to sell the movie or make a movies yourself, right? It's in, in multi-level marketing. It isn't just an end user. You are constantly trying to recruit people to sell the exact same thing in an already oversaturated market. So it's like a lose-lose. Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's an interesting um you know, the, the MLM obviously takes it a step further, but it is, uh, when I say interesting, I use this term loosely, uh, marketing tactic to uh, to do this sort of constant re-release. It, it's funny because I wanted so badly, I follow you on Instagram, obviously, I wanted so badly to talk about this and I was like, we're not going to have any time, but it worked really seamlessly. The fact that like Taylor Swift is re-releasing all these things that I saw that you had reposted from uh, mm-hmm. Nora McInerney about um, the fact that that she's this is sort of like exploitive to a mm-hmm. degree and and yes, it's kind of a standard marketing tactic, you know because it works, but that doesn't make it okay. No, no, not at all. Yeah, just the greed involved too. like everyone mm-hmm. needs to make a buck. 
you know, you got to sell yours, you know, I got to get mine, all that, that the whole thing. But at what point, like, is it enough money? And, you know, you talk about Taylor Swift, who's now a billionaire. I mean, these multi-level marketing companies, these corporations, the people who are cashing in on this shady marketing are the people at the top and everybody at the bottom is suffering. Yeah. Totally. When you say the top, do you mean like the owners are, are there actual salespeople that are also there at the top? Both. So the very, very small percentage of people who make money, um, even the top like 0.3% may not be making that much money, but the top like 0.00000 tippy, tippy, tippy top um, is making money. And the CEOs, the VPs, you know, these are all corporations. It's so funny because, you know, MLM reps totally malign corporations, like ditch the nine to five, kick corporate America to the curb. Mm -hmm. It's like they work for corporations and they're all run by, you know, white men. So they're, you know, the corporations are billion dollar companies. They're making tons of revenue. Doesn't mean that the people who are, you know, unpaid labor schlepping the products are making anything because most of the time they're not. Right. Because I mean, you could take somebody making minimum wage, even in a not livable minimum wage scenario, and they're still likely making more than mm-hmm. that that bottom rung of anybody inside of an MLM. Simply, if for no other reason, then they didn't have to actually invest anything to get the job, right? Exactly. In order to take out their own taxes, things like this. You know, there is so often... I will say to the credit of the person that signed me as their downline, I reached out to them. I was interested in like, what does this look like as a side hustle for me? I already owned my own business. And when I got in, I did find as somebody who already owned my own business, I I found the language around starting your own business very interesting and funny because I was like, this is nothing like that. There's Mm -hmm. like, you don't, you don't absorb the impact if something happens. You're not, you're not the CEO of your business. And a lot of times people would equate what they had built inside of an MLM with like what I was doing over here with a marketing business. Um, I'm, I'm curious when you, first got involved, if you could share a little bit uh, with our listeners about like, what got you involved? I mean, what was the the most uh, compelling thing? I know after having read your book, but but what did you find most compelling about bringing people in or you coming into this community yourself? Yeah. So I think any really toxic system exists because there are no other options, right? Like I was a stay-at-home mom with five kids and going back to the workforce was not in the cards for me because childcare, my husband had a demanding job. I was the one who did most of the logistics. So there was always someone home for sickness, uh, you know, doctor's appointments, whatever. The, the daycare would have been ridiculous. There, there was just yeah. no way. And so while I was looking for something and kind of in this phase where I was sort of like lonely, wanting something outside of myself, feeling kind of trapped. This seemed like the perfect solution because it was friends uh, or you know proximity relationships that seemed like friendship, uh, potential money, a potential you know passion outside of what I was doing at home, and it seemed very low risk because everything I you know was like, oh, you can join. If you don't like it, return it. 
right? It mm-hmm. seemed like there was very little risk involved. And I thought, what the heck, this could be it. So I really just, I ran with that ignorance and that hope. I think that's one thing that got preyed upon a lot was just that I had a lot of hope that this could turn into something. Yeah. And I, I know too, the the concept of starting your own business, and, and I know that we want to at some point talk about the demographics that really do get preyed upon by MLMs in general, but there were so many women in particular that I knew that felt like they weren't contributing financially they're maybe they're they were struggling um as a couple to support their family and this was that hope that like you said gets preyed upon that i can i can own my own business i can have this freedom uh to to run this thing and still contribute to my household there were even i mean and and i know we'll get into this as well but horrifyingly enough you know you'd hear stories about how um, somebody was able to get away from an abusive spouse because mm-hmm. they made enough money to uh, pull themselves out of this situation. And those were things that made us think like, wow, this company really does offer opportunity. And, and you know, what would that person be doing if not for what they did mm-hmm. here? Yeah. And every, you know, you hear that a lot that every success story in an MLM starts with a sob story. Mm-hmm. And that's that's done by design, even if it's very benign, like, oh, I had acne, now I don't. That's sure. still, it's still, it's always the before and after that are very compelling. And even, you know, my friend who I, I signed up with, uh, she, her story was that she had left her engineering position and, you know, she was going on all these trips. And, and so even if I knew the stats at the time, which I didn't, I didn't know how, you know, abysmal the statistics were that I probably wouldn't make any money. That, that hope would have kept me going like that. You know, it happened for her. Here's someone I know. And that's the other thing that's exploited is your friendship. It's always, it's almost always somebody, you know, an acquaintance, a family member, and you, you trust people, right? You trust that people aren't going to lead you astray. It does take that sort of some of the darker side of marketing, which is really, I mean, an exercise in this could be you, right? If you Mm -hmm. purchase this product, if you uh, invest in this service, if you take the action that we want you to take, this could be you, a person that has solutions to your problems, that overcomes Mm -hmm. these challenges that are put in front of you. And to some degree, I mean, that's really necessary, right? Like there, there is great power and potential in marketing when when used for good but it seems like these MLMs take the the darker parts of it and then lean in even harder to that mm-hmm. and they're already capitalizing on products that we don't necessarily need but they're very targeted especially to women like it's always weight loss anti-aging you know it's all these things that we're already like picking ourselves apart for And it's like, oh, and by the way, you get friendship and money and all these things. It's like this package that you can't separate. It's everything. And that's why it becomes so enveloping and really like takes your whole life over. One thing that I know has been really frightening for me to watch. um, I remember many years ago, this person who was a friend of a friend friended me on Facebook, slid into my DMs and made some comment about how I looked like maybe I wanted to commit to weight loss this next year. Ugh. And I was like, oh, 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 oh. 
I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, like I'm sorry. Who are you? What's that look like? Right, like I am so confused by this, and I I tried to be diplomatic and telling her to fuck off, but um, you know, she kind of kept popping up over the years. She had uh, that's what happens with North Dakota nice. They keep popping no, up. I know, I know. I was you know say, who never pops up? People who talk to me. Like, <laughs> there's, there's no such thing as New Jersey nice. Uh, <laughs> but like uh, you know this this person they they did uh, one of the the fitness coaching fitness video MLMs. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. built this massive team. And then from there, they actually did build their own business as, I don't know, first they were an Instagram coach and then they, now they're like some kind of divine feminine, yawny, sunning sound bath, sort of a, a coach. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've rebranded like four times in the last two years. But what's concerning is that I see too, she just took the MLM model and rebuilt a consultancy out of it because now mm-hmm, she's yeah. one of these coaches. She belongs to this coalition of coaches. She has what is effectively an upline, but now instead of selling hundred dollar a month shake subscriptions, she's selling ten thousand dollar coaching practice uh, packages and mm-hmm. and teaching people how to like. I remember this from you know back when I was selling modeling school days. You, decade and a half ago, hearing from people who were told like to cash in on their life insurance policies to be able to afford these types of things. It's yeah. it's almost scarier to see like what happens when people come out of that and don't learn their lesson and don't see how mm-hmm. exploitive it is or worse, see how exploitive it is and then leverage it in a different area. Yeah. The whole coaching coaches to coach coaches is like a whole Mm -hmm. new thing now. And if you look at it, like the MLM to coaching pipeline, it it's, it's insidious. You know, there are so many people who I worked with in the MLM who they realize that people who are in MLMs got suckered into the MLM in the first place. No shade. I did too. And people start to realize they're not going to make money. And so they think, how can I get more money out of this? And there's one, there's several, but there's one really, um, I guess, popular coach in the MLM space who I worked with in my MLM and like, she was not making it. Like she got to car volume, lost the car, like, and then now all of a sudden she's got this huge platform where she's coaching people in multiple MLMs now, not just the Mm -hmm. one we were in and, you know, making hand over fist money because People are desperate. They are desperate. And you see those platitudes like, oh, I spent my last $10,000 on a Tony Robbins, you know, yep. conference and yep. now I'm flying in a jet. And it's like, show me that math. Like, no, that's right. That, yeah. So again, just preying on hope in a different way and trying to p- get people to just keep digging in their pockets and that sunk cost fallacy. Mm-hmm. You've already spent this much money. You've got to make something come of it. It's, it's awful. And especially it's funny how you see that in both the sales tactics as well as the recruitment tactics for MLMs. Mm-hmm. You're seeing the manipulation on the emotional levels to recruit people and get people to be your like within your pipeline. And then you're also seeing it of I lost all this weight because I take Plexus. Look how I'm wow, I called one out real hard. I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> and um like look how much weight i've lost or like 
I feel so much smarter if it. I'm thinking like I've seen so many MLM episodes too between like It's Always Sunny in Shit's Creek. They get sure, them pretty right sure. so far. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just really interesting how that tactic's used almost throughout the entire corporation of mm-hmm. how it's ran, how it's recruiting, and how it's selling their product, which is grimy and yeah. also culty. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's not a lot of um, regulation in the coaching space currently. I think there's there's some push to get more regulation. And this is coming from someone who like, I've gone through coaching programs, you know, I work in the recovery coaching space and it is very, it's been very hard for me because I see so many people, you know, there's a sober coach out there who, you know, sells her beach body programs to her coaching clients. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you see why people from MLMs go into coaching because Mm -hmm. it's really like two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a way to do it very ethically and there's a way to not do it ethically. And if you haven't had any training around it, um, you know, it's just, it's like a recipe for people getting manipulated. And to your point too, you know, people realize there, people start to realize there is that, that financial ceiling or even that compliance ceiling when you're inside of an MLM. So even talking about how MLMs are taking some of these marketing practices and making them darker, then as you said, you're, you're moving into unregulated space. You're moving Mm -hmm. not only into unregulated space, but unregulated space that doesn't have a corporate uh, board of directors or, or leadership that you have to be yeah. beholden to. In uh, the organization that I was in, you know, somebody realized, oh, I can make money making creative for all of these distributors to use on their Facebook pages and they can buy the creative from me so that they don't have to do it. And now she's facing a lawsuit from the organization. I think actually it mm-hmm. might have settled already, but um, I know my upline's upline spent something like, I mean, she was making an insane amount of money, spent something like $35,000 to develop an augmented reality app that she wanted to sell to the organization Mm -hmm. so that people could try on these lipstick shades from home. And she presented it to the organization, was hoping that they would be like, yes, I want to buy that. And instead they told her, you're out of compliance. You're not allowed to use this. And then they went and developed their own in-house and didn't, didn't make a purchase from her. So, so when you, when you, when you face things like that, Of course, it seems like, you know what? Fuck this. I can go make money outside of this using the same kind of tactics. So we're inside of these organizations, not just confining the yuck to it. We're actually breeding it outside Mm -hmm. of there, too. Mm -hmm. Um, In the book, you talked about how and I saw this firsthand as well, how members were encouraged to essentially like exploit Terrible events with sales, like national tragedies, disasters, even uh, your own fight with cancer. You know, can Mm -hmm. you tell our listeners the thinking behind this? Because I know that on its face, it sounds horrifying. Who could ever do that? Who could ever think that you would want to exploit a, a terrible disaster with a sale? But there is a weird logic to it when you're in it. Mm-hmm. And again, you're prepped for this. You're prepped from the beginning when, again, every sob story is a success story from the before and afters, from you go to these um, retention events, you know, they're local or national conventions, whatever. And you're hearing stories of people, again, who are like, I was with an abusive spouse and now I'm not because of this business. Or I did, you know, I was 
I was sick and alone and poor, and now I'm rich and have friends and whatever it is, it's the sob story and the success story. And so when you do face challenges, you are encouraged like, Hey, be vulnerable. You know, we're told how being vulnerable is such a good thing. Everyone throws around that Brene Brown, you know, Ted talk Mm. so that you really get prepped to like be vulnerable, but that doesn't mean using something to sell a product that like you don't even own, right? And and recruiting people into a scheme, but it's just bastardized. And so when I came upon, you know, I was diagnosed with cancer and I told my upline and she was like, well, what if you did like, you know, something, what if you made a lemonade out of lemons, you know? And that sounds really nice when you are in that situation where you're like, this sucks. What am I going to do? It gives you some purpose. It gives you somewhere good to put your energy. And so thinking like, Hey, I'm going to donate my, my profit this month to this charity. That sounds great on its face, but in an MLM, again, it's not just selling to an end user profit going to the charity. It is you're recruiting people in requiring a selling of a product, but the money's not just going to you. It's going to your upline. It's going to the company. So the person who's profiting the least, which was me, who was making these sales and, you know, giving my profit to charity, all these other people were, were making money off of it. So it was very duplicitous because it wasn't, again, I could have just said, Hey, get, can you guys donate $20 to this charity Sure, by requiring a purchase? (laughs) So it maybe, again, a, a lot of these things in MLM, like good intentions, bad outcome, right? Like the impact doesn't match the intention. So you just get prepped for that. And and it's not unusual then to see when the company has a, you know, a Red Cross benefit for hurricane victims that requires a purchase of sunscreen. You just are like, oh yeah, that's helpful. I'll buy it Mm -hmm. without thinking how icky it is. And I know that it was something too, that in our organization was was designed as proof that the company was doing good. Mm-hmm. Philanthropy. Can, uh-huh. yeah. Oh yeah. I can feel good about this company because of this fundraiser that they did. Whereas I, I don't know if fortunate is the right word, but I remember uh, when Trump first took office that, and, and, uh, the CEO of the organization I was in started to uh, like very vocally align herself with him was when there was an exodus of many of us because that was just like the bridge too far. But so many other people stayed because, you know, there was some kind of philanthropy that was a component to it. They could, they could be okay with it because of all of these other good things that were happening. It gets Um, really easy to compartmentalize when you've made so much of it. Again, it's like, this is your friendship circle. This is your financial, you know, it's like you're the breadwinner or whatever. And it's like, well, there's this one bad thing. That's okay. It's easy to compartmentalize. And, and, having some distance from it. And I, I know that, you know, we have listeners who absolutely were in this organization with me and, uh, and I mean, hopefully everybody laughs in hopefully a little bit of horror, you know, recounting this, but I I remember during, um, right after George Floyd was murdered and there was all of this unrest and all of these protests that were going on nationwide. And we had some people that were in like that top 1% that were saying some really racist shit on Facebook mm-hmm. and um, were very vocally denouncing the protests. And the CEO got up to essentially 
because we also had a lot of women of color in the organization who now started getting louder about like, when are you going to start making products for us? We've been here. We've been shilling your shit. What about us? Why are we being excluded out of these conversations? And the CEO got up and, and made this video about how she's always been a friend to black people ever since she was a little kid. When she made a, a black friend in grade school, you're you're making that face now, Kaylee. It gets worse. Uh, she made a black friend in grade school, and nobody else liked this black friend, but she was really nice to her. And then one day, the black friend had another black friend, and they beat up the the CEO when she was a child. They beat her up on the playground. And the CEO was devastated that her black friend beat her up, but she knew in her heart it was because her black friend needed to prove to the other black girl that she was a part of the club or so, like something that's awful, horrifying. And and I remember watching this video and going like, there is no fucking way. There is no way that everybody I know who has sanity, there's no way they can watch this video and still be okay with this. And the compartmentalization, man, it's a hell of a drug. Mm -hmm. Also, (laughs) there were so many people that when several of us brought up the insanity of this video, that the response was, yeah, it was, it was kind of fucked up, but like, Hey, like she made a video and like, that's better than doing nothing. Right. And so there was just this constant, like, I think erosion of what we, what our standard should be and, and Mm -hmm. what that should maybe uh, look like, what we hold ourselves to and what we hold the, the company to, uh, because, you know, we'd seen this philanthropy, we'd seen all the good things. And so it just became easier for us to explain away why the company didn't make makeup for darker skin, why it was okay for the top 1% to be uh, in involved in QAnon or say racist shit on Facebook. Why, you know, it was fine that the CEO, like, yeah, it was a weird story and everybody felt a little weird and icky about it, but like, hey, she's on the side of not racism, right? One thing that had never really occurred to me until I read your book was the constant replay of white supremacy culture in MLMs, even outside of this CEO being such a friend to to the Black community. (laughs) Like, can you break down how the structure in general feeds into that and how and why we typically see so many white white people involved Mm -hmm. in this. Yeah. And as you can imagine, I got a lot of pushback for having supremacy in the title, like, (gasps) you know, the pearl clutching was strong. And, and it's like, white people have to be the ones to call out where there are systems in -hmm. operation that uphold white supremacy because no one else is going to do it. Right. Like you, it's, it shouldn't be the people being oppressed who have to fight for the rights. It's the people who are doing the oppressing, right? Right. So it, it, it's it's funny that people just forget, like we live in America and it was founded on a lot of things that are not good. Like, you know, black people did were considered less of a, not a full human, right? Mm-hmm. They were, they didn't have the same rights. That's how our country is founded. So 
it doesn't matter if you have those beliefs or not today. You know, that was oh, so long ago, which it wasn't that long ago. It, that doesn't matter. It's that is what our country is founded on. And so systems that are put in place, capitalism, you know, the patriarchy, all these things, they, they still exist. And so do we do things every day that uphold those systems or do we do do things that try and break those system da- systems down? And that's what I was trying to highlight in the book. Like I'm not an anti-racist educator. I'm not a woman of color. I'm a white woman who, who realized the system I was in was harmful. And the reason that it's harmful is that it it's like capitalism on steroids mixed with meritocracy, where already it's inaccessible to everyone and it's it's shown, it's um, it's marketed as something that anyone could do. Anyone could do this. You can make as much money as you want, financial freedom, like all of the stuff. And the people who succeed had everything they needed to succeed from the beginning. They had money, they had support, they had a husband who had a job, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's so it's this very specific avatar of who can succeed. Sure. And it's like a 42-year-old white woman with 2.5 kids, right? It's not sure. a real diverse model, like even internationally. So you already, you know, the avatar is an English-speaking woman. So, well, how many people, English isn't their first language? They're cut out. Mm-hmm. How many people can't afford the $600 business kit? They're cut out. So it's it's the fact that we sell it as an accessible model for everyone when it is so not accessible for everyone. And that is white supremacy. Like that is a, a system that supports white supremacy and supports the patriarchy because again, it exploits the unpaid labor of women. Sure. The reason that I was targeted was because I thought, oh, I've got time. I'm home doing nothing, right? And I can do nothing and not get paid for it some more. Sure. So it, it upholds all of these systems. And you don't have to look farther than a photo from a convention or a leader trip or whatever and see that everybody's white. They're all white. Mm-hmm. Like, hello. I don't know why people are so shocked. Well, and, and when you're in a room where everybody looks like you, it becomes safe to say all the things that uh, you wouldn't otherwise be able to say. I, I think that's something that, that we noticed uh, several people that were on my team. Like there was a really, really successful distributor who ended up being like a crazy QAnon mouthpiece mm-hmm. that, I mean, very much thinks like when I, when I say believes in the lizard people, I'm not joking, like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and, and it seems really interesting that this does end up being sort of a feeder into some of that culture. Um, you know, we saw like really a lot of like hyper religious stuff. And I, as an ex evangelical, like was not interested in incorporating any of that. But man, we had to like stand alone as a team if we didn't want to be involved in that at all. So mm-hmm. it definitely did not encourage independent thought, let's say. <laughs> yeah, anything that requires groupthink. Um, it really can fester. It's like a petri dish. So you have people who are already, again, you know, if you're evangelical, if you're Mormon, if you're whatever, like go to town, believe what you want to believe. But you have someone who then is selling this product or joining this service and mm-hmm. joining this company, and they're doing it in this closed environment. Well, it's more than likely to grow in that closed environment. So then now you've got all your friends who also are evangelical Christians and who are also slinging makeup. And then when you devote yourself to these people and you're in proximity to these people, one of them has a 
hairy idea. They saw some YouTube video about, you know, QAnon or the flat earth movement or whatever, it's just more likely going to grow in that environment. And when you are surrounded by people who all think something, it doesn't seem crazy. It seems like the norm because you're not getting, again, you are taught in an MLM to block the haters, to have your blinders on and, and be in this insular world. And then it's just reinforced because the people on the outside are not supporting you because you're acting crazy. And so you push yourself into this insular world and it feels like friendship feels like support. So you're just going to dig your heels in more. And it's, it's designed to make sure that you never, you, you don't, you can't go outside of it because of course, if, if you set the stage that anybody who disagrees with me is a hater and should not be listened to because they're impeding upon your growth mindset then you never do allow for any other line of thought. Mm-hmm. I have a question for both of you with your experience. Have you felt like within your teams at your MLMs, you witnessed this happening maybe in real time of cutting this person off or someone's no longer selling. So they're like, for lack of a better term, a loser, like they couldn't handle it, but you can handle it. Like, do you feel like that was fed within the team? No question. And it's, it's something I've heard from everybody who has left, even, even if they sit and think about it, like, Oh no, I just sold for a while. didn't like it left. Does your upline still talk to you? You know, does, do all these people who are on the zoom calls with you talk to you? Oh no, actually, you know, she used to check in with me all the time and now she doesn't even that benign you know, I will tell you, I went on vacations with people. I went on international trips with people who blocked me, literally will not speak yeah. to me anymore. So it's absolutely, it's absolutely taught and you believe that you're doing the right thing. And, and in my experience too, like the, it's not even just like leaving, like Emily, one thing that resonated with me so much is you had a hairdresser that uh, mm-hmm. joined your team. I had a hairdresser that joined my team that was the biggest pain in my fucking ass. So I'm reading about this and I'm going, shit, did we have the same hairdresser? No, no, yours is, yours is in a different state than mine is. Okay, fine. But like, she was the biggest pain in my ass and she would frequently, and I, I like, I had to laugh out loud reading some of your experiences because it felt identical I got ostracized from my own team for a while because, again, I had an actual business that I owned that I was making my living on. And because I couldn't devote all of my time, energy, effort, resources to the MLM, and this hairdresser felt like I should be able to, she went and talked shit to all my other downlines, to my uplines, got, and, and of course, she's making them money. So mm-hmm. who are they listening to? So then there was this entire group of people who, who were having side group chats about me. Yeah. I mean, and the shit that was said that I know was said. And then of course, like later on, you know, she's like a crazy narcissist anyway, but like she, you know, ended up like approaching me and apologizing for it. But like, even in it, 
I was made to feel like I was never doing enough to continue to warrant the love, warmth, and exception and acceptance, excuse me, of community, which is coincidentally also how I felt in religion. So I was able to yeah. see that at least. Well, you're supposed to spend the most time, money, uh, proximity, everything, training, whatever, on the people who are making you the most money, your leaders, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, it's great if those are your friends. If they're not, it's a nightmare. Mm, you know, yeah. all of a sudden you can't spend time with the people who are your actual friends. Like that's, that's messed up. <laughs> I just can't help but notice how similar the setup is to, and bless you both for ha doing something that was a side hustle, making money. However, it just sounds so much like Scientology to me of mm -hmm. people buying in, being told it's for a purpose down to the people that they're recruiting are people that are looking for answers for things or like just looking for some sort of religious response or religious awakening. And they found L Ron hubs mm -hmm. and like versus these people that are either looking for some side cash to make while you're working, or this is you finally making your own money, or I just signed up because my friend really needed me to sign up. Like, it's so interesting how similar everything is. I, um, Emily, do you have a moment from your experience in MLM where you feel like the veil was lifted, the glass was shattered, and you were like, I have to leave? I'm sure it might be explained in what your book. Yeah. I mean, it was a long process. You know, I wish yeah. I could say there was one day where I woke up and I'm like, I'm done. Um, <laughs> but it was a slow awakening. It was realizing, you know, things I had been told and then like, oh, you know, because here's what I believed. I believed if I followed the system, I would succeed. And I did because I was in that point zero 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 one percent And so I believe that people who I trained and told those same things would also succeed. And then they didn't. But I was also told if they didn't, they must not be doing those things. So I, for mm -hmm. so long, really just you know believed that if they were doing the work, they would succeed until I saw with my own eyes that they were and weren't succeeding. And so it, it took me a allowing like critical thinking um, and and also taking myself out of that insular world a little bit. I will say COVID was very helpful in that way because I was already, you know, on my way out. I was on my way. Like I, I kind of thought I would put things on the back burner and it would just slowly kind of dry up and go away. But when COVID happened, it was just the, the most gross predatory trying to get people to join who just lost their jobs. Mm. Like, Oh, you poor thing. You don't have a job, you know, join our pyramid scheme or, you know, use your, uh, your stimulus money to buy a consultant package, stuff like that. And then the blatant just misinformation around COVID itself, like our products will cure cure COVID and, uh, you know, all this stuff with like the pandemic video being shared. Mm -hmm. So it became something where I, I just couldn't be remotely associated with it. That was really like yeah. the last straw, but it definitely wasn't one night I woke up. In fact, that's, you know, it's one of the more frustrating things, like as a writer, when you're like looking back, it's like, why didn't I quit then? Why didn't I quit then? Why didn't I quit then? <laughs> like you look back at all these things and I'm like, how did I even join this? But like, that was my level of understanding and this is my yeah. level now, but it was not an overnight process by any means. You know, I, I think about, um, 
And and Kaylee, though I know that that you have never had the great misfortune of being in, M- in an MLM, what I do know is that you have been in a toxic work environment. And- My mom has been in MLM, oh, okay. so oh, I, am, I have seen the products. Yes, of sure. that I have tried every product. I have been given all the baubles to wear to oh. class because they were horrible looking. Like I, the one I have never experienced in it. The one I never <laughs> understood as a total aside. The one I literally never understood was the one where you buy the candles and then there's jewelry in the wax at the bottom of yes. the candle and I don't understand that then you just have jewelry waxy jewelry covered in wax yeah. <laughs> and it could range from like 10 cents or a thousand dollars right but who wants a thousand dollar jewelry that just from a candle wax? like none of this I truly don't understand it but oh my god I'm being from North Dakota there was that definitely went around for a while, but I like I think back to, you know, back in like two thousand, I don't know, I think it was like two thousand twelve. I was at a probably one of the most toxic work environments I was ever in. I only lasted for seven weeks, shortest I've ever been at a job, and I remember seeing it like feeling like I was watching in real time abusive family dynamics, mm-hmm. um, you know, as somebody with a little bit of experience in that department. And then also coming from the religious community, like I've, I've sort of seen these patterns happen over and over again. And one of them that I saw in this workplace that I feel like plays out with MLMs as well is you've got this boss and he has created this culture of fear and you can only move forward or advance or even like continue to keep your job if you make him happy. And if you don't make him happy, he, I mean, he berated me on the floor in front of all of, of my coworkers. And there, it was to make an example out of me so that nobody ever questioned him on anything ever again. And none of us would talk to each other about it because he also had like spies everywhere. Mm -hmm. So nobody would say anything because everybody was concerned that it was going to get back to him and they would lose their job or they would lose out on advancement. And this is this culture of fear that gets stoked in so many like toxic work environments, toxic relationships, toxic family environments that I feel like you also see inside of those MLMs. Like you said, Emily, you know, you look back writing this and go, why didn't I leave then? Why didn't I leave then? But abuse is it like it runs deep. Mm -hmm. And if you've never experienced it, you don't understand why somebody might not be able to leave. But Mm -hmm. it really is that thing that, that pulls you in that makes you wonder if you're the problem. Right. Right. And I think we are so wired to be black and white in our society, especially Americans, right? It, if it's not 100% bad, there's still a chance. And so you see this with, you know, when, again, like everyone's had a shitty relationship, like, you know, you had a shitty ex-boyfriend, there were still some good times, mm-hmm. but like overall it was yep. bad. And so in an MLM, because it isn't just a job, you know, you have this toxic job and it's like, okay, what are the, what are the, what's the cost of leaving? Okay. Well, money. Okay. Well, I can get a job somewhere else. Mm-hmm. If it were just the job, it would be, be so much easier. But when you are in, it is your, it's like your salvation. Sometimes yeah. it's your friendship. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. your therapy. It's everything. And so the fear of leaving is so much bigger than the fear of, well, what happens if I stay in? Well, I might lose another extra couple hundred dollars a month, but oh, well, that's the cost of doing business. And these people who have love bombed you 
when you yeah. get in, you know, you're, you're basically mediocrity is very rewarded at first you join. It's like, Oh, I signed down my social security number and a present showed up. Like you're, you're given all these gifts and these accolades. Yeah. And then it takes a lot more as time goes on to earn those. And then you're not on the leaderboard anymore and it hurts and you want to know why. And same thing, these side conversations, these group chats going on, all this catty bullshit going on. It, it's, it's so toxic and it, it definitely, it, it does feel like, you know, emotionally abusive. It feels like sometimes verbally abusive because you're getting berated, you know, oh, if you really wanted this, you would work harder. If you really wanted this, you'd watch this training video. Um, and it sounds like personal development, but it's not. And it might, it might even be easier to walk away if somebody like outrightly berated you. Mm-hmm. It, but instead it's the, you know, like I've noticed that maybe, you know, you're not making all your connects, you're not sending enough messages, you know, have you considered that maybe you're spending too much time doing X, Y, or Z, which I know you talk about, mm-hmm. especially as you were, you were uh, writing your first book um, and you had this whole other potential career path that it was now your fault if your team wasn't doing enough, if you weren't mm-hmm. yeah. making enough. I'm putting them off track, right? right? Because I don't have my eyes on the prize or whatever. And you know, I became that person. Like everything I share in this book is not to say like, oh, they were bad and I was good. It's like I became that person yeah. who if I didn't see, you know, if people were like, why am I not reaching my goals? It's like, well, show me your activity for the week. You know, did you read that book I gave you? Well, you know, I'm only telling this because I care about you. That kind of shit. Like that's, that's just the culture that's created. You know, it makes a monster out of you if you let it. Are those training videos created by like the top salespeople? Like they're the ones who are providing this training? Usually. Yeah. I mean, there's some corporate provided stuff, but it's generally the people in the company, even at conventions, you know, because yeah. then the con- the company doesn't have to pay anybody. It's like an honor to speak. So they have the top consultants up there telling their story, sharing their secrets. It's the same recycled bullshit all the time. Um, but it's like, you want to be up there. So you'll listen to it. And, and, you know, you talk about too, like, even when you were making a lot of money, uh, off of, of your downlines, the amount of money and time that goes back into training and paying mm-hmm. for a training location because the company is not helping you with that and uh, buying gifts for your downlines to make sure that you're, you know, love bombing in return and showing them how much you care about them. And then, you know, the actual time investment that goes into these trainings, these one-on-one coaching, like the personal calls, things like that. Um, I mean, I remember it being a huge honor to get out asked to do a training or an AMA. But even after the first one that I got asked, cause like I came out the gate and was doing really well. And so I got asked to do a training relatively quickly. So of mm-hmm. course, you know, you've got the endorphins like, Oh my God, I'm, I, I'm getting an A and MLM. I'm doing great. Right. And, and even then I did my training and immediately got follow-up from my upline that several people were upset because I had used cusses in my video because like, I've always said like, here I am, this is me. This is, if you're talking to me, you're probably going to get cusses. And so like, Mm -hmm. I've, I've always been upfront about that. And I had told her from the outset, if I'm going to do this, I got to be able to do it my way. But immediately you're othered. This is what you Mm -hmm. didn't do to fit in with the organization. And if you ever want to be considered for this again, you will look, think, feel, 
exactly how the rest of us do. Yeah. And they want your vulnerability. They want your realism to a point, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I experienced when, you know, I got sober halfway through my reign and the MLM and it was very celebrated. And I was like, gosh, this is so great. They, They accept me. They love me, blah, blah, blah. And when you're in that place in recovery where you've done a bunch of shit that you like are making amends for having a community that's like, let's celebrate this is really great. And so, you know, sharing my recovery story was something that I did in the MLM until then when I went to write a book about it, it was a little too real. And it was like, oh, well, don't share this. Just share the pretty stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. So you really don't. It's just about what makes the company look good. You don't really care about me. You don't care about any of these people. It's all just a means to an end, you know, where the cash is is flowing. I would like to to tap into that too, for a moment, if you don't mind, the the wine culture associated mm-hmm. with, I mean, there's, you know, the, the wine mom archetype anyway, that I feel like more and more people are starting to, to point out, right. They're starting mm-hmm. to say like, aren't we a little uncomfortable with this? And, and I, forgive me, I haven't read your first book, but I, I feel like based on what I've read in, in this book, as well as our conversation here, that a lot of that gets touched on in the fact that like, it's, constantly inhibiting women with alcohol is not really doing much to like help further the feminist cause, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, and treating motherhood as though it's something that requires an alcohol prescription, um, that just kind of gets cycled through over and over and over again in MLMs. What did you, what did you see from that sort of imbibing culture this was a way to bond, to get you to share things? Like, what does that, Mm -hmm. what do you feel like the point of that was? Yeah. I mean, we could go into a whole thing about alcohol culture, but you know, I was already in that place in my life where I was coping with wine, right? I was Mm -hmm. the wine mom. I was the one sharing all the memes, memes, wearing the shirts and all that stuff, right? Making the jokes and drinking every night. And so- it was immediate where when I, my friend invited me out to talk about this business, you know, we drank wine, we met at a wine bar. And then it became like the more I drank, the more I sold, the more I sold, the more I had to drink because then I would meet clients out for wine and then I'd have events and there'd be wine. And so it just gave me more opportunity to escape. So it exacerbated something that was already there for me. And when I finally did get sober, that's when I realized, and that's when the wheels started falling off the bus for me, when I realized, Ash, I can't send those cold messages anymore. I can't just randomly call people because now my intuition is back online. You know, just like you said, it, it does kind of wear down your inhibition. Obviously it's that like the social lubricant and the liquid courage. And there were things that all of a sudden I couldn't do anymore and didn't feel comfortable with. And I was willing to have a more critical eye. Um, And, you know, by that point, again, like I was already so high up that I was making money off of my downline anyway, and not really my own work. Mm -hmm. And I, I was sharing my story. So it's like, I was, I was still roped in, but I started to see how things weren't really what I thought they were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think it's very common. I mean, there's, it's interesting because there is a like really strong Mormon component and there are a lot of companies that were like based in Utah and yeah. for tax purposes and whatever. So, uh, you know, there were some companies that are like pretty dry, but I feel like as far as sales goes and 
from what I've heard from a lot of people who have left, like alcohol culture was was very strong. And the MLM I was in, it was it was very strong. There was alcohol everywhere all the time. I know at seminar, uh, the the one time that I went, you know, you've got these moms in particular who are away from their kids for the first time in how yep. long. So they want to let their hair down. They don't have a ton of experience, you know, drinking otherwise, or maybe have to be a little bit more um, uh, restrictive in their normal time. I mean, that honestly got dangerous for us Mm -hmm. as a group, like going out to bars, whether it was like we would lose people and Mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't feel that pressure to like imbibe to that degree while we were out largely. Cause I think, you know, I was one of a handful of us that were also like keeping an eye on people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, some people like inadvertently starting fights and things like this that, um, that, yeah, I mean that, that wasn't who they were at home and they felt like they could let their hair down more or less. And like, this was what they were supposed to do if they were away from their kids. Yeah. And I put myself in a lot of scary situations. You know, I talk about a lot of them in the book, but where I just lost evenings of time. And, you know, I'd have to think in the morning, like, did I get someone's credit card information? Like, did I sell something? Did I sign them up? Um, You know, and, and that wasn't unfortunately uncommon with a lot of people, you know, every convention, there was always someone who like got alcohol poisoning or cheated on their spouse or whatever. You know what I mean? Because these are consequences of like drinking a lot when you're not used to that. And you are, and not to shame people, it's like, live your life, do what you want to do. But it is, it is the culture of the MLM that Mm -hmm. creates these parties. And, you know, it's, it can be very toxic. Sales conferences are kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sales in general. Party for some places. Yeah, I, I think conferences, especially like it, they're they're the place that yeah you're supposed to be able to go and like be a completely different person. And like I say, you know, I didn't imbibe a lot while I was out, but I will say that like the only time that I have ever missed a flight was the fact that I got wasted the night before because I was sitting there with my sisters and we just kept drinking because we never get to be together. And here we are at seminar. And I drank so much that I didn't set an alarm and slept through my flight the next morning. And Mm -hmm. man, that was an expensive lesson to try and get a new flight. It's the the first and last Mm -hmm. time for, for that. But I mean, you know, there was definitely this feeling of like, we need to soak up all this time. And this is a way to keep the fun going while we're soaking up this time too. Yeah. And I think in business, you know, happy hours, business conferences, like this is this isn't a departure. Like this is the way mm-hmm. it is. Right. But the difference is people who go to these conferences with an actual job, people who go to happy hours with an actual job, they are getting paid. And their mm-hmm. conference is also paid and their hotels paid. In an MLM, you know, I think that's one thing people don't realize is none of this stuff is paid. None of your labor is paid. You are paid if you sell something. You're not paid much. You're paid if you recruit people. You're not paid much. The more of those things you do, the more you're paid but you're not paid to go to these conventions. You're not paid to meet clients out for dinner. You're not paid for any of that. It's all unpaid labor. So it's a huge expense. How much do you think, would you say you paid for a conference? Like either in your earlier years or maybe later when they started getting more 
outrageous, I yeah. would assume. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're the more, the, the higher up you are, the more you're expected to spend. Right. I think yeah. the first convention I went to, I was very lowly, like new and, um, you know, the tickets, you know, the tickets, I want to say it was, was around $350 just to attend. And then you got to get yourself there. So whatever the flights were, you know, at that time, there were probably $300 hotel, you know, probably another $500 maybe. So that's just like being there. And then you got to eat. There's no meals included. You've got to then buy products because that's a big thing at every convention is they have a product lunch and they're always super expensive. So, I mean, you're looking at thousands of dollars every time. And, you know, at the very top, when I had to like host my own parties and stuff, I mean, I was spending, I think one year at convention, I spent over $10,000. I, I thinking even about just like the individual parties that you're supposed to go to, we mm-hmm. had to go to our uplines uplines party, and then we had to go to her uplines uplines party. And yep. there's a theme for each of them. And there was a different outfit you need to wear. Yes. To the outfits. Them. That's the oh other thing. Yeah. And, and everybody wants to coordinate as, so that we can show that we're a team. Like we had to buy t-shirts that had our team name on them before we went. You didn't have to, but it was strongly encouraged. Strongly encouraged. Yeah. Um, all of my leaders. Yeah. All of my leaders. I bought per- like I, one year I bought Kate Spade purses for everybody. If that tells you any, how much I spent that year. I mean, I, I, I should probably go back and look at how much I spent at that convention. I mean, yeah, but it is it is expected of you because yeah. when I first went, my upline gave me stuff and her upline gave me a lot more stuff and her upline gave me a lot more stuff. And so what was I going to do when I showed up and I'm this leader? I couldn't like show up empty handed. I think spending $1,000, even at the the level that I was the one time that I went, $1,000 would be on the low end between, yeah. like you said, the ticket, the flight, the accommodations, then the meals and, and booze and and all the outfits and the different tickets to go to those different parties and whatnot, easily over $1,000. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, there's... It seems like there's just kind of an endless money pit that's designed to make you think that you are actually making more than you really are because it all just goes out the door. And mm-hmm. one of the the more insidious things that I've always seen is like, you know, you got to spend money to make money kind of a thing. Reinvested in the business. That's a phrase that people use when they're bootstrapping businesses. I know I've done it. I've been there. Like you do reinvest things into the business. If I'm, you know, if we've got like a sizable profit one year, we reinvest it into the business but it's it's my business mm-hmm. versus me leasing a part of somebody else's business and still having no real freedom even when i tr- even when i left i tried to sell back my product on like cuz you know we we had to yeah. buy all of our product and then do all the shipping ourselves there wasn't like an order form online for anybody um so also you didn't know if you should buy the product then sell it or uh, sell it and then try to buy it and hope that nobody noticed the lag time in between. So you were constantly caught in the middle there. But it's trying to sell all the the overflow product I have, I've been out of this for years and I still have product downstairs because when I tried to sell it on like BOGO, like Facebook pages, the almighty compliance arm reached out and threatened to sue me. Mm-hmm. If if you sold it for any less than what they were selling it for, because we were devaluing the brand. I'm not a yeah. distributor anymore. I haven't officially been for probably five years and I still 
am not allowed to sell that for a price that I could get the product for. Right. Yeah. And the money is, again, it's, you know, once the company has your money, once you bought that starter kit, once you bought that product, they don't care what you get or what you do because they already have the money. So what happens at that point, it doesn't matter to them. Right. So, well, Emily, I I really appreciate you coming on. One thing, one last thing that I I wanted to to get into that was really eye-opening for me was this concept of of not just realizing that you were taken advantage of, but also taking responsibility for the ways that you perpetuated that. And that was something that your book really um, forced me to sort of have that reckoning with as well, that I think was always in the back of my mind. Um, I knew like this was predatory, but it's really easy once you get out of it to pull yourself out of that and go, that was predatory and Mm -hmm. not think about the ways that you contributed to that. Um, Can you kind of speak to that? Do you feel like this, this book was, was uh, equal parts like sort of exposure, but also confessional in a way, like what was this for you in terms of like your path to healing? Yeah, I think because I sang the praises of MLMs, just not just the company I was in, but just network marketing in general for so long and roped so many people in, like it was good that I did amends one-on-one with people, apologize to people, all of those things. But I I wanted to be just as loud the other way. Once I really realized what was going on, once I did the actual research and allowed critical thinking, um, I wanted to be just as loud. And, and so that really was part of it. And, you know, of course I've gotten pushback like, oh, you exploited people and now you're writing a book and making money off of it. It's like writing is a job, like being an author is a job. And, you know, we shouldn't expect people who have made money in a shady way then to never get paid again. It's like, now I'm doing something that is actually helping people. Or, you know, even if I just want to do something for fun, like, that shouldn't matter. And so I I really try and separate that out is, you know, I really thought for a very long time I was doing something really helpful and really good for people. And I know that most people involved in MLMs believe that. And so I never want to chastise anybody like you're scamming people um, because they don't think they are. And I didn't think I was. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Do you think now with uh, things like the Lula Rich documentary, with your book, with other, you know, additional voices that are kind of coming forward, do you think we're hitting a point where there will be regulation? Do you feel like the lobby is still strong enough to continue to evade it? Um, Do you think that this is kind of, this is going to just sort of fall into the like cult umbrella perspective where nothing tends to happen. We just know that it's a problem. I think that last one, I mean, unfortunately, so many politicians, lobbyists on both sides of the aisle have, you know, their pockets being filled by MLMs or the direct selling association or whatever, that um, it, it, it will probably never cease to exist. I think where it will change is consumer awareness. Again, like documentaries, podcasts like this, where people realize this isn't something I want to put my money into. And also having, you know, there's so many things available to us now. Like I don't have to, nobody needs to buy skincare from me. They can go to Sephora. They can talk into their phone and a thousand options will pop up, right? So I think we have so much more available to us. We're so much more aware that we know where our dollar is going to go. And I think people are smarter about where they're spending their money now. I think that's where it will change. 
do I think MLMs will go away? No. I think MLMs companies will get smarter about naming things that, mm. oh, we're affiliate marketing, even if though they're still MLMs or we're social selling. They're trying to rebrand themselves because they'll rebrand themselves around it. Sure. Um, but I don't think they'll ever cease to exist. Sure. Emily, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so, so much. I know Kaylee has wanted to do an MLM episode for a very long time. And then once I read your book, I was like, this is it right here. So I really appreciate it. This uh, has truly been uh, a really enlightening conversation and um, something that that we hope is uh, beneficial for our listeners both um, you know, folks who have been involved in these MLMs or have been customers, but also people who have not really been involved, that like it's really, really easy to side eye and that there are, you know, uh, there there is this predatory element that like I think it's good to look at with suspicion and question it, but also, you know, maybe what we do is, is we do a little bit more disrupting of that conversation. Hey, maybe the next time you get a Hey Hun email, you or a DM, you send them the episode of this podcast. Uh, maybe that, that's the case. Uh, Emily, thank you again for joining us. You can find Emily's book called Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and the Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing, wherever you buy books. Oh yeah. So I always say buy your books at your local bookstore if you can. Um, and if you can't, bookshop.org is a great place to buy books. And of course you can buy it anywhere if you want to buy it at that big place that starts with an A, that's fine too. Um, they all, you know, they all benefit me, but I like to benefit bookstores as sure. well. So um, anywhere books are sold. Yeah. I love that. All right. And I'm Emily Lynn Paulson on all platforms. Excellent. You can also follow us, like, and subscribe to us at Target Snarket, uh, wherever you want to, I guess. Are we, we're on Instagram and LinkedIn and YouTube. I don't know why I always forget this. this for almost be, I know, but it's because we also have the broad digital consulting stuff that I forget which ones we have other pages for. Um, and you can uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please also leave us a little review ski. That would be amazing, especially as we are entering more awards competitions and things yeah. like that. We would love to see more review skis. Uh, five stars, if you don't mind. Uh, that would be super amazing. This is actually the final episode of our first season. We will be back in early 2024, but this is your last Tuesday episode of 2023. How sad is that? Alan's not even here. They're in Santeroni. Remember and that, everyone. Yeah, exactly. Remember <laughs> that instead of being here recording the last episode of the season with us, they're in Santorini putting their feet in hummus. That's not a euphemism. Hey. It's just a weird video that they put out that I'm most definitely putting them on blast for because, like, unequivocally chaotic evil. Uh, but yes, this is our last episode of the first season. Thank you so much for following along with us and being a part of this wild ride that we've had uh, over the course of our first season. Uh, we are going to be back again in early 2024 with a wonderful lineup that we are sure you will all be very, very excited about. Uh, we hope to be able to bring you more interesting conversations from the business and marketing world, but also just to help make yourselves better, more responsible digital citizens as well. Until 2024. 
Okay, bye. <laughs>